Today on Let the Bible Speak. We come to many crossroads in life. Today, I want to talk to you about four roads that you should travel before you die. Good morning and welcome. It's a privilege as always to be with you and to talk to you about the Word of God. I do a lot of traveling in my evangelistic work, usually driving tens of thousands of miles per year. Though the road is often long and tiring, there are some benefits along the way, such as driving down a road I've never been down before. I've seen many beautiful vistas and explored some of the lesser known beauties of our country that I might have never seen had I not chosen to go down that road. There are roads I would yet like to see and travel. If the Lord is willing, I hope to one day drive the Valley of Fire Road in Nevada, or the Denali Highway in Alaska, or the North Coast 500 in Scotland, just to name a few. But there are at least four roads that I'm even more concerned about traveling because the Spirit of God leads the Christian traveler, that is, the person who wishes to glorify God and eventually arrive in heaven, over these ancient roadways. I want to talk to you about some of them today in a lesson that we'll entitle, Four Roads Every Christian Must Travel, after a song.
As we travel the highway of life, we come to many crossroads. These roads meander through time, around bends and crooked places, and over hills and through valleys and through various types of scenery. When we come to a crossroads, unless we have a map or have gone down that road before, we have no idea where that road will lead or how that road will end. We need someone who has traveled that road to point us in the right direction, or we need a map to show us that road's course. Well, the roads of life are really no different. Roads were important arteries connecting the world in Bible days. There were fewer of them, and unless you were traveling by sea, these roads were necessary for travel. Some of them were well-worn paths. Some were treacherous and led through more dangerous areas than others. Some of those ancient pathways were quite famous, and we read of great moments in history that took place on or alongside them. In our lesson today, I want us to think about four of those roads that I believe we should spiritually take when we come to them. These ancient roads and the events that occurred along them teach us some important lessons that should guide us as we travel through life today. And I would go so far as to suggest that these four roads are roads that every Christian must choose to travel if they're going to follow Jesus Christ. First, every person is wise to travel the Damascus Road, and we'll call that the Road of Change. You know, the great Apostle Paul famously went down this road, and the man who started down that road was not the same man when he came to the end of it. He started down that road, according to Acts chapter 9, on a mission of hate and destruction. He was then known as Saul of Tarsus, and he, like many people, was living high and wide. He was confident in his religion and apparently confident in the life that he was living. He saw no need for change in his life or a new direction in his life. He had been raised a devout Jew, and this was his life. He was a notable Pharisee at that. And as he started down the road to Damascus, he was filled with zealous indignation on a mission which he sincerely believed was from God to stamp out this growing band of zealots who were promoting the blasphemous claim that Jesus was the Son of God. He, like many others, thought that the claims of Jesus' resurrection were preposterous, and the movement that was quickly building around those claims threatened all that Saul believed and held dear and must be stamped out. And so armed with warrants from the high priest, he left Jerusalem for a week-long journey to Damascus where he intended to search the synagogues for any of these heretical disciples and bring them back to Jerusalem in change to face trial and likely even death. But somewhere outside Damascus, as he walked under the blazing noonday sun, Suddenly a blinding light from heaven greater than the sun sent Saul falling to the ground, and the voice of the resurrected and now ascended and enthroned Christ spoke from the glory, and suddenly changed this arrogant and presumptuous man filled with hatred for the people of God to a blind and a humble beggar asking what Jesus wanted him now to do. What a sudden realization came upon Saul when he encountered the Christ that moment. Not only did he come to realize that Jesus was indeed alive, but that he is Lord and Christ, and that he, Saul, was helpless and lost without him. He left Jerusalem, breathing threats of where he was going to go and what he was going to do. But notice he entered Damascus, asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? And where do you want me to go? And friend, that's what happens when a person meets the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you gone down that road that Saul went down in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts? 
Now, I'm not talking about a literal Damascus road, of course. In fact, the events that occurred on that actual road were unique to Saul because Christ was making more than a Christian out of Saul. He was making an apostle out of him. And an apostle, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 1, was one who had personally seen Christ after his resurrection. Thus Christ miraculously appeared to Saul here on the Damascus road. We should note that Saul was told to go into the city, and someone would come and tell him what he had to do to be saved. He was not instructed in how to be saved on the Damascus road. We read nothing there in Acts chapter 9 of any salvation experience taking place there on the road as he encountered Christ. But what did take place was a heart that was now turned toward Christ, and a heart that instead of telling others what he was going to do is now asking the Lord what the Lord wanted him to do. Here's a heart that's been humbled and realizes that he is a guilty sinner in the eyes of God, and he wants to know the answer to that question that was asked by so many in the New Testament and continues to be asked by many today. What must I do to be saved? And the record tells us in Acts chapters 9 and, 20 and 22 that Ananias later came to Saul and restored his vision and told him to arise and be baptized to wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And my friend, that's when Saul was forgiven of his sins. That's where and when and how Saul called upon Christ to save him, was when he arose and was baptized to wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But those events of the Damascus road, you see, prepared Saul's heart to receive that which Ananias then came and preached. Now, though there will be no miraculous experience in your life or mine like Saul experienced, one still must be humbled and broken before the gospel will find entrance into his or her heart. His or her heart. There must be a change that takes place in the mind and the heart of a person for conversion to occur. Now, you may think, well, your life is fine like it is and that you really have no need for Christ. Like Saul, how sadly deceived you are. The fact is you need to fall helplessly before the mercy of Christ and ask the question that Saul asked along the Damascus road, Lord, what will you have me to do? And when you ask that question, the Holy Spirit through His Word will provide you the very same answer that He did Saul through Ananias in his preaching, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Now friend, that's what awaits at the end of the Damascus road. And if you haven't traveled down that road of change and conversion, then your life is not what it ought to be. You're headed in the wrong direction. No matter what mission you may be on in life, you're on the wrong mission. And you need, you need to have your heart turned toward Jesus Christ. You need to meet Him. You need to be humbled by Him. And you need to turn your heart to Him wanting to know what He wants you to do and surrender your life to Him as Saul did so long ago. And until you do that, you're not the friend of Christ like Saul you're his enemy. And after you walk down the Damascus road, you need to turn onto another pathway that the Bible describes as the Emmaus road. And we'll call that road the road of fellowship. You know, every Christian should spend considerable time walking down this road as he goes through life, like some did so very long ago. And like Saul, they too experienced a life-changing encounter with Christ when they walked that dusty pathway. Luke chapter 24 paints that beautiful scene. You may recall that it was the Sunday after Jesus was crucified. 
Rumors were beginning to spread that day that the tomb had been found empty that morning, that Jesus had risen from the dead. But most of the disciples were confused by everything that had happened over the past week, the whirlwind of emotion that they had experienced, and the reality of Christ's resurrection had not yet sunk in. There was still even question, perhaps doubt and skepticism on the part of some such as Thomas. And these two disciples described in Luke chapter 24, you can almost see them slowly walking along, maybe kicking a pebble or two down the road, quietly talking amongst themselves. It's such a beautiful story. I just want to read it to you. Luke chapter 24, listen very carefully, beginning in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had, which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine that? Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, walking along the road to Emmaus, expounding to them all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that must have been. They were so enamored and so enthralled in what he had taught them and what he had said to them that day. They begged him to abide with him as the shadows of the evening started to fall. And he went into the town and the Bible says he broke bread with them. And then the scripture says, their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You know, some of us need to walk with Christ down the Emmaus Road because unlike those disciples, our hearts are cold and our faith is weak. Our futures seem dim and uncertain. But Christ changed all of that for them and he'll change all that for you when you walk with him down the road of fellowship. And that's the reason so many who claim to be Christians lead such dull, hopeless, joyless, and powerless lives. They're missing what awaits on the Emmaus road of fellowship. 
You know, any Christian who doesn't habitually, and I mean habitually, spend personal time in the Word of God, time in prayer to the Heavenly Father, every person who cannot regularly be found with Christ's other disciples gathered in the presence of the Lord, they don't know the blessing that these disciples received that day on the Emmaus Road. Notice it says, their hearts burned within them as they absorbed and they pondered His Word. How much time do you spend with the Savior, my friend? Does your heart burn within you to hear His Word and to have fellowship with Him and with His people, which is available to us in His church? That's one of the reasons He established the church, not only to bring glory to Him and to accomplish His purposes in the world through the vehicle of the church, but to provide the means of communion and fellowship among His people. Every Christian needs to spend time walking down this road with Christ. Every Christian needs a dedicated program of Bible study, a consistent prayer life, regular time alone with the Lord, and fellowship with other believers every Lord's Day and whenever else the opportunity is afforded us. And then there's another road, and that's the Jericho Road, and we'll call this the Road of Service. And you know the Lord calls you to walk down this road as well, but it's a more difficult road. It's a more challenging road. In fact, in some ways, it's a more forbidding road. The Jericho Road was a famous road in Christ's day and still is. It passes through mountainous solitude as it steeply winds the 20 or so miles down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm told it drops more than 3,000 feet in that short few miles. And on its way down, it's walled by cliffs and rock formations and caves which made it an inviting den for thugs and thieves who would hide and lie in wait for helpless travelers to pass where they would rob them and oftentimes injure or kill them. It was so dangerous it came to be known in ancient times as the bloody way, as many a sojourner met a violent end in the deserted stretches of that wilderness path. And it was the backdrop of one of Christ's most famous and riveting parables recounted in Luke chapter 10. You recall Jesus said a certain man left Jerusalem and was making his way down to Jericho and he fell among thieves who beat him and stripped him and left him for dead on the side of the road. You know that's what life has done to many people today. The roadside of life is strewn with the beaten and mangled victims of selfish and sinful living, people suffering because of their own sins as well as the sins of others. There are the casualties there of a broken and cruel and sin-cursed world. Some are there because of foolish choices they made. Some are there because they were overtaken by the evil circumstances of life beyond their control. Some are there because they were overcome with temptation and sin, stripped them and robbed them and left them with nothing. The Jericho Road is not a scenic byway. It's not a pleasure trip. It's a dangerous and difficult journey that one takes out of necessity when you go down that road. And when you go down that road, you're going to at some point encounter its carnage. But I believe Christians are called to walk down that road because we have a duty to God and a service to render to our neighbor. We may not be of the world, but we are in the world. And we have a responsibility to our neighbor around us. We're to be a light in this world. We're to be an influence for good and charity and compassion in this world. Jesus said after this man was robbed and beaten, eventually two devoutly esteemed religious men came by. And recall, you recall that Jesus described how they showed little or no concern for the man and his plight 
not wanting to be defiled, not wanting to be bothered, not wanting to be delayed and inconvenienced, and so they went on their way. But then the story takes a surprising turn. Jesus said a Samaritan came and took pity on the man, treated his injuries, bandaged up his wounds, carried him down the road to an inn, and secured him a place to rest and recover. And the point of Jesus' parable is simple, and it's very convicting. Those who are suffering, whom I am able to help, they are my neighbor. And I have a responsibility to God for them. They're my neighbor regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their socioeconomic status or class, regardless of their religious background. The person who lives out the religion of Christ is the person who is a force for love and for good in the lives of those he meets along the Jericho Road of life. And friend, the church is not a country club for the spiritual elite. It is a search and rescue operation for those who are lost and ruined in sin, and may we never forget it. We need to spend some time walking down the Jericho Road and observing what we see there and doing as that Samaritan did so long ago, demonstrating our religion, demonstrating our faith by lending a helping hand to those who litter the side of that Jericho Road. And then finally, there is the Jerusalem Road that Jesus Himself walked. The three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus was nearing its end. It would only be about six months until Jesus was crucified outside Jerusalem. His disciples now know who Jesus is. The Lord has now made that very plain to them, and the Lord begins to prepare them for what is about to happen, His death. After His great declaration in Caesarea that He would soon build His church, Matthew 16, verse 21 tells us that from that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. How heavy the Lord's heart must have been as every new sunrise brought Calvary that much closer. The cross was looming on the horizon as He slowly made His way to that final week and that final journey to the city of Jerusalem. Luke's gospel makes such a haunting observation in Luke 9 and verse 51 that when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that was a journey he had to make. It was a road that he had to walk. And he knew what was at the end of it. And it took every bit of strength within Jesus as a man to set his feet on that road and began that trip because he knew what was waiting. When Jesus told the disciples then in Matthew 16 what the future held for him, you recall Peter, the Bible says, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You ever wondered why did the Lord so stingingly rebuke Peter when Peter clearly didn't understand? I'll tell you why, because Peter was offering the Lord the same temptation that Satan had offered him three years earlier. The great temptation of our Lord after His baptism was designed for one thing, to try to persuade Jesus to refuse to go to the cross, to seek His crown by means of another pathway instead of the way of Calvary. And friend, there are people in this religious world today who would have you to believe that there should be no suffering in the Christian life. They're not interested in a Christian life that includes suffering. They would have you to believe that if you name it, you can claim it, and that faith will afford mansions, wealth, and pleasure. And let me tell you, that's a lie. 
It was Satan's lie then, and it's his lie still today. Jesus not only rebuked Peter for putting that temptation before him, he went on to say something that Peter and the disciples must have found shocking. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A cross? They knew what crosses were, and they knew what crosses were for. And so far as the Bible record is concerned, this was Jesus' first mention specifically of a cross. But Jesus told them, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to walk to the Jerusalem road too. You're going to have to be willing to take up your cross and to follow me. Four roads every Christian must walk. I walk right with the Savior of men, rejoicing because He has saved me from sin. No glad you joined us today for the program. If you would like to have a free printed copy of our lesson, we'll be glad to send you one free of charge. If you'll contact us, ask for the lesson, Four Roads Every Christian Must Travel. And we will get that on its way as soon as we can. You can find us online, ltbstv.org. We're on the various social media platforms, so we hope you'll follow us there and help share our content with your friends and neighbors and those with whom you have to do. And that would be a great assistance to us in spreading the gospel. We're so thankful to have you as part of our viewing audience, and if this is your first time to watch Let the Bible Speak, we hope it will not be your last, and that you'll make a weekly appointment to join us, the Lord willing, to study the Bible from week to week. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead, and if it be God's will, I'll meet you back here next time for another Bible study. God bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.